Thank you for choosing Tox News, a Portum Rebellion broadcast. May we all pray to the internet gods that I do not suffer on this day, for I have three video segments to go over. Today we have Tucker Carlson reporting that this is the greatest threat to democracy, freedom, and worldwide. Six-minute segment on the Carlson Tonight Show. Um, And then we have OAN reporting COVID economy with Tyler Goodspeed. And then to top it all off, we have PragerU with how the left sees the world, power, race, and class. Oh, yeah. But we're going to get into this first. Politico reports, quote, I literally don't know. Operation Warp Speed scientists can't explain Trump's vaccine order. And this comes with reports that uh, Trump uh, had a summit today over the vaccine and its distribution. And on top of all of that, what they're actually discussing is how uh, Trump early on, I think back in October, had denied uh, or... I guess, rejected an offer by Pfizer for a certain amount of doses, and that ended up putting other countries ahead of us in the amount of doses that we're going to receive or even uh, first going out. And then this also comes on the heels of the FDA not approving uh, Pfizer's um, vaccine, even though today the UK is doing its first doses. So uh, Politico reports this. And let's scroll down. It says, by Quint Forgy, The chief scientist of the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed was unable to explain President Donald Trump's latest executive order Tuesday, which aims to prioritize shipment of the coronavirus vaccine to Americans over other countries. Monsef Slawi, I apologize if I pronounce that wrong, who Trump tapped in May to head up the administration's efforts to hasten vaccine development, appeared puzzled when asked to clarify the president's order during an interview on ABC's Good Morning America. Now, I have that clip, so we're just going to uh, skip over most of the quotes because I have this clip right here. Let's check it out. Uh, foreign countries aren't going to be able to get the vaccine until everybody here in the United States gets it. It sounds like the problem is the opposite right now. Pfizer has made deals with other countries that are going to limit the supply here. Frankly, I don't know. And frankly, I'm staying out of this. I can't comment. I, you I, don't, I know? don't know? But you're yes. the chief science advisor for Operation Warp Speed. Our work is, is, you know, rolling. We have plans. We feel that we can deliver the vaccines as needed. So I, I don't know exactly what, what this order is about. Can you explain this exactly? <laughs> I, I literally don't know, and I'm staying out of it. <laughs> they have plans, uh, but he's not going to discuss the executive order that Trump had to do today that says he is prioritizing Pfizer's uh, shipment of vaccines out to United States. Um, but you know, I think for the most part, a lot of Trump's executive orders, uh, tend to be more on a symbolic side because Trump can't executive order a company to do something, um, that's well over his power. 
But the Politico article continues, Indeed, it remains unclear how Trump's executive order would be enforced as drug makers are already making agreements to deliver supplies for other countries. Slowey was similarly dismissive when asked about the executive order in another interview Tuesday, telling Fox News that, quote, What the White House is doing is what the White House is doing. Unquote. <laughs> wow. He's just dodging it. He's playing uh, the five Ds. Dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge. Uh, Scott Gottlieb, Trump's former commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, speculated Tuesday on CNBC that there may be, quote, authorities that the administration could invoke, unquote, to compel vaccine makers to break distribution agreements with other countries. Not going to be their preference in making money, though. Uh, the article continues, but Gottlieb also cautioned that, quote, the countries that the vaccine was sold to are our, our close allies, unquote, and said the U.S. will rely on those nations as part of the global supply chain of vaccine materials in the coming weeks and months. The White House is hosting a vaccine summit Tuesday, today, at which Trump is expected to congratulate Operation Warp Speed officials and others involved in the U.S. vaccine distribution effort. I want to add that he's probably going to talk about the election fraud as well being that he also did it during the presentation of the Medal of Freedom. So that was that was cool of him to do that. Uh, however, representatives from vaccine developers Pfizer and Moderna, which have already filed for emergency authorization of their shots from the FDA, will not be in attendance to that summit. That's great. That's, that's awesome. Uh, the two uh, biggest um, developers are not going to be there for Trump's uh, symbolic summit to say how great of a president he is. So that was... Remarks also come amid fallout from a New York Times story published Monday, which reports that administration officials turned down an offer from Pfizer to purchase additional vaccines in July. Now, Pfizer may be unable to supply the U.S. with sufficient vaccines before next June because of subsequent deals with other countries, the Times reported. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany uh, denied the Times report Tuesday, telling Fox News that, quote, it's just simply not the case that we were offered more vaccines and rejected them, unquote. And despite concerns over purchasing availability, McEnany said the U.S., quote, will get the next batch in short order, unquote, adding that, quote, the, those no get negotiations are ongoing, unquote. And that is the end of the article. Um, yet again, um, uh, Trump really putting America first, so much so that he comes out with an executive order after the fact of him denying those uh, uh, doses and him just now saving his own ass, uh, you know, by saying, oh, I did the executive order. Well, it's like, well, you know, companies have no reason to actually... Uh, listen to those. There's nothing to compel a company into being like, oh, the president said so. Uh, so, you know, I just thought that was interesting news. The great more more incompetency from the most incompetent president ever. But let's just get into the meat. Let's get into it. Let's get the juice and suck it dry. Tucker, take it away. So last week in the Wall Street Journal, there was a kind of remarkable op-ed stating as clearly as anyone has ever stated the nature of the threat that we face from China. The op-ed was written by someone who would know, the director of national intelligence, John. I don't know if Don, uh, if uh, if he would actually know that for sure. Um, being in the Senate, intelligence doesn't necessarily mean you have the evidence or the information coming directly from China or what have you. But uh, the op-ed itself, you know, uh, op-eds usually come out as some of the most inflammatory misinformation in a lot of cases, even if they are at reputable newspapers. And that's kind of why they're op-eds is because they're not necessarily journal journalistic work. And I'm sure the op-ed was probably written by 
the same guy who Face from China. made the report. The op-ed was written by someone who would know. Yeah. The director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe. John Ratcliffe. He- um, let's just Google John Ratcliffe real quick so we can get a brief summary of who he is. Um, John Ratcliffe is an American politician and attorney who is the director of national intelligence in the Trump administration. He previously served as the representative of Texas 4th District from 2015 to 2020. During his time in Congress, Ratcliffe was regarded as one of the most conservative members. One of the most conservative members. Um, and it seems, yeah, Wall Street Journal. Uh, Wall Street Journal does tend to have a bit of um, a right lean to it so that's that's very interesting there but of course the you know when you write an op-ed for a newspaper it doesn't necessarily need to be uh held to the same level of integrity as um say uh journalists you know any regular news article would um it's and, and it's amazing here that um in the second paragraph john ratcliffe says the intelligence is clear um, it's, it's, you know, before he actually presents any of that intelligence or evidence, it, it's already given to you the conclusion at the very beginning. So, um, it's a pretty short op-ed too. So I'm not sure how much it, it, it really expands on the ideas that he's going for here, but, um, it's a pretty short read. I would say it take maybe 10 minutes. So if anybody's interested in that wall street journal opinion articles has it but we're going to get it from the man himself. He called the Communist Party of China, quote, the greatest threat to democracy and freedom worldwide since World War II. It's an amazing piece, worth your time if you haven't read it. In just a moment, we'll have Director Ratcliffe on to discuss that. Um, we, you know, in the United States, just to give a little bit of context here, is that we feel extremely threatened by China's um, accelerated, uh, I don't know, growth. Um, and a lot of, you know, that in itself does uh, threaten our position in bargaining power with like other nations. You know, other nations could see China as an ally with how strong it is economically. Um, and, the, you know, I think most of our trade deficit is owed to China. So in a way, there's there's uh, multiple fronts that we could be seeing China actually um, hurt United States interests globally. Um, but you know, for the average American citizen, I don't really see China as a big threat to Americans' freedoms, uh, any more than I do say its own government. I feel, uh, the United States is more of a threat to itself than China is, but that's in a domestic level, uh, internationally, you know, foreign policy wise, um, I would definitely need more intelligence to understand exactly how China is going to threaten our position globally as the superpower. Uh, but I just wanted to say for everyday average Americans living their daily toilsome lives on the streets, um, the government is more to, to worry about than what they're telling you to worry about, which is China. He wrote this, quote, the intelligence is clear. Beijing intends to dominate the United States and the rest of the planet economically, militarily, and technologically. I call its approach of economic espionage, rob, replicate, and replace. China robs U.S. companies of their intellectual property, replicates the technology, and then replaces the U.S. firms in the global marketplace. Now, those aren't simply legal disputes. They have actual consequences for millions of American workers on our standard of living, on what your kids will do for a living. Ratcliffe noted that in 2018, a Chinese wind turbine manufacturer ripped off trade secrets from a Massachusetts-based infrastructure company 
called American Semiconductor. As a direct result of that theft. Um, this is like, uh, this example specifically, I just want to say, is in the article. Um, so, you know, the, the sources here are coming directly from the article. And the article itself doesn't have too many uh, sources within it. It seems that one of them is just the American Superconductor uh, issue, which is also reported by the Wall Street Journal. But the rest of the article seems to be unsourced, and we have to uh, take John Ratcliffe's word for it. He doesn't really post uh, sources to, say, the FBI frequently arresting Chinese nationals for stealing research and development secrets. Until the head of Harvard's chemistry department was arrested earlier this year, China was allegedly paying him $50,000 a month as part of a plan to attract top scientists and reward them for stealing information. The professor has pleaded not guilty to making false statements to U.S. authorities. Three scientists were ousted in 2019 from M.D. Anderson Cancer Center in Houston over concerns about China's theft of cancer research. The U.S. government estimates that China's intellectual property theft costs America as much as $500 billion a year or between $4,000 and $6,000 per U.S. household. Um, but yeah, that seems to be completely unsourced. It's uh, all just allegations. Um, and, you know, I just have to take Ratcliffe's word for it, even though he's not necessarily providing any proof saying that this is the exact case. So I can't say that I don't believe it either, because, you know, even U.S. companies try to either replicate or, you know, even steal intellectual property to better themselves. Microsoft and Apple, you know, had this kind of ordeal going on in the 90s, so... American Semiconductor lost over a billion dollars in value and had to cut 700 jobs. Now, that didn't happen because the company, American Semiconductor, was careless. It happened because they were the victim of theft. That's happening everywhere, including in the Pentagon. According to Ratcliffe, quote, China also steals sensitive U.S. defense technology to fuel President Xi Jinping's aggressive plan to make China the world's foremost military power. U.S. intelligence shows that China has even conducted human testing on members of the People's Liberation Army in the hope of developing soldiers with biologically enhanced capabilities. There are no ethical boundaries to Beijing's pursuit of power. And here's the thing is that I have seen a few reports of U.S. official saying that uh, they were developing soldiers with biologically enhanced capabilities. But again, that U.S. official could have been the director of national intelligence. Um, And it doesn't seem to be too reported. Uh, China conducted human testing to develop super soldiers, top U.S. official. This is from Mint.com. Let's see if they can say who that U.S. official was. U.S. intelligence, yet again, could be the national intelligence. Yep, John Ratcliffe uh, included the explosive claim in a, in a long Wall Street Journal op-ed. It's not that long. Wow, Mint, who do you work for? Because um, Mint just seems to kind of be just echoing the the claim, which, yet again, I'm just saying has no concrete evidence uh, to it. Um, Taiwan News also picked that up, but, US, but it's also from the same op-ed. Daily Mail, which has a right, uh, right lean to it, also reported it. And guess what? John Ratcliffe is in the headline picture. 
Um, the Guardian said China conducting biological tests to create super soldier U.S. spy chief says, of course, that's probably John Ratcliffe again. Even the Guardian, yep, intelligence director John Ratcliffe claims. And everybody is reporting this with absolutely no evidence. You know, John Ratcliffe did it on his op-ed and then everybody just fucking echoes it. <laughs> and of course, here we are. Is China using CRISPR to create super soldiers? Oh my God. And this is reported by Biospace. Um, Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe penned an op-ed in Wall Street Journal that claims the Chinese government is attempting to enhance the capabilities of soldiers through genetic engineering. Um, let's see. Uh, Ratcliffe's concerns build on theories raised in 2019 about China's capabilities with CRISPR. I mean, we have CRISPR in the United States. In fact, that was created in the United States. So why wouldn't we actually think that, you know, here, here would be the first place for that to, for that to happen? Um, Um, I guess the more concrete thing that we have here says in their column, Kania, an expert in Chinese defense technology at the Center for a New American Security and Vordnik, a consultant on China matters and former U.S. Navy officer said the People's Liberation Army of China highlighted uh, exploiting biology as a priority in its strategic writings. The, re the researcher said biotechnology development is, quote, gradually showing so strong signs characteristic of an offensive capability, unquote. Um, for them, that includes the possibility that, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks, unquote, could be employed. They cited a 2016 Chinese report which characterized CRISPR-Cas technology as one of, quote, three primary technologies that might boost troops' combat effectiveness, unquote. In addition to potential gene editing, the 2016 paper suggested that soldiers could be given the drug modafinil due to its cognitive enhancement applications. I just want to say, though, that um, I don't know if the U.S. Army uses all of them, and everybody can look this up, but a while ago, after studying how... Um, you know, focused shocks to a rat's brain can control its behavior. Um, they started putting that same technology into soldiers' helmets to actually, you know, shock their brain into a focus, uh, a more flow state, if you will. And um, I, I would look it up, like army shock helmets. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. With, with such great tags as army shock helmets. Um, do, 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 shockwave protection, combat helmet shows have not made progress. Um, let's see. I don't know the exact uh, word for it. Um, hmm.
I'm not sure if they actually implemented the technology, but it's hard for me to try and find the specific because it always, you know, it, it always has to deal with actual like shock. And so I'm trying to figure out what the word is. Is it advanced combat helmet? Hmm. Because the research was from 2001, and so I'm trying to find if there's actually anything in here. But I had seen the quote itself from uh, Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. Um, he was talking about how they were using shockwaves to affect the, I guess, the, uh, you know, kind of brain waves that the rats had um, entering them into like a more focused state. And so they ended up implementing the same thing into military helmets. But it's kind of hard for me to figure out how to how to how to do that specifically. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty hard to find that because it's always about brain injury and trauma. Shockproof study shows. But uh, there's the inside of a helmet right there. And there's nothing really in it to tell me for sure that they have something that like shocks their brain and puts them into more focus. But I'll have to do more research. Or if you can hear this, I would definitely look into it. But uh, dang. Dang, dang, dang. Uh, but yeah, I had read about it in Yuval Noah Harari's book, which they did a 2000 study on rats and seemed to find them effective as well on uh, soldiers. Power. So I just want to think that's pretty interesting because I wouldn't put it past the United States either. Um, you know, we have the comic book Captain America, um, you know, essentially about making a, uh, a squirt nerd into a swole patriot. Um, so I wouldn't, like, really be surprised here, but, you know, we always have to demonize our enemies, even if we're willing to do the same exact thing that they, too, are willing to do. You know, if we're if we were willing to race everybody for nukes, why wouldn't we be able to race? Why wouldn't we race everybody for super soldiers? Remarkable. We know where this is leading, and Ratcliffe's op-ed spells it out. Quote, Beijing is preparing for an open-ended period of confrontation with the United States. Washington should also be prepared. That's just fear-mongering because I don't really see us any superpowers like uh, America, Europe, Russia, or China ever ending up in open-ended combat anytime soon. If that were to actually happen, World War III would definitely begin. Um, if it happened in any other circumstances, it would be very strange if the entire globe didn't go to war over it. Leaders must work across partisan divides to understand the threat, speak about it openly, and take action to address it. And the action to address it that uh, Ratcliffe is, is to compete against China in an economic and warfare level. Um, this is basically the posturing same that you would have seen in like the 60s, 70s, and 80s for the Cold War against the Soviet Union. John Ratcliffe is the director of national intelligence, the man with more intelligence before him than anyone on the globe apart from the president. We're happy to have him on tonight. Director, thanks so much for coming on. Tucker, good so, to see you. You spell this out so clearly that it made me wonder why the rest of us, so many in our public life, haven't been saying this for quite some time. You make it sound obvious. 
Well, I think you did a good job of encapsulating why, Tucker. Um, there are a lot of people who, for economic reasons, don't want China to be our greatest threat. There are a lot of people who, for political reasons, don't want China to be our greatest threat in America. But the intelligence doesn't lie. China is our greatest threat, and it's not even close. No other. And that's the unfortunate thing is, is that we have two anecdotal uh, intelligence, I guess, which was speaking on, uh, you know, the stealing of the businesses or stealing of intellectual property and then super soldiers. So that's uh, three. And then they're going to talk about 5G, which is in there. Um, see um consider this scenario this is from the article a chinese-owned manufacturing facility in the u.s employs several thousand americans one day the plant's union leader is approached by a representative of the chinese firm what the fuck the businessman explains that the local congressman is taking a hardline position on legislation that runs counter to beijing's interests even though it has nothing to do with the industry the company is involved in and says the union leader must urge her to shift positions or the plant and all its jobs will soon be gone what that would never happen because honestly too it has nothing to do with the union's interests it's just even like anti-union speak to even think that the union would be that like the labor union would be any interested in helping china for just no other fucking reason other than they're supposedly communist what kind of leftist fear-mongering bullshit are you wrapping inside of your Cold War, Ratcliffe? It says that the union leader contacts his congresswoman and indicates that his members won't support her re-election without a change in position. He tells himself he's protecting his members, but in that moment, he's doing China's bidding, and the congresswoman is being influenced by China, whether she realizes it or not. This is such a hypothetical, pie-in-the-sky, full-of-shit kind of... Uh, uh scenario like i'm not going to consider it it is flat out dumb and it is uh mainly meant for right-wing people who already uh feel a threat by chinese dominance country has the capability of essentially taking away the american dream and a specific plan no they don't no they don't like i said uh i feel our own government and, you know, uh, the widening of economic inequality in the in the United States is a bigger threat to uh, the American dream than China. To do so. And the intelligence is clear. So, Tucker, I wanted to use the unique vantage point that I have to make sure, you know, as the director of national intelligence, my job is to warn the American people of threats. And there is no greater threat than China to America. I think also too that a part of your job should be to provide actual evidence, not two anecdotal and uh, uh, property theft examples. Like it would be great if you had an extensive report, not an op-ed opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. The most jarring part of the piece I thought was your description of the massive ramp up of the Chinese military and from your telling, not necessarily for defensive purposes, what do you think their aim is? <laughs> well, again, dom <laughs> Oh, my God. Why is our fucking budget so high for the military, Tucker? <laughs> it's been higher than everybody's for decades. What a... 
what a, what a what a cheese ball question that is to ask like to set up the tee ball for him and just let him have as many swings as he can to knock it out of the park i'm gonna militarily technologically <laughs> uh, and economically on the military front they've already achieved having the largest uh navy oh, uh, no. of any country in the world oh god um, from a military force a country having something better than the united states no standpoint there are the People's Republic of China has a military of two million. Um, they want them to be the largest, and they also. How many? Oh, I don't want to get rid of the article. I want to keep his article for a second. Uh, I just wanted to Google something, compare it. How many troops are? How many troops does the U.S. have? Ooh, number of U.S. military service members vary by state, driven mostly by workforce levels at large bases. There were a total of 1.3 million active duty military and more than 800,000 reserve forces as of September 2017, according to Defense Department personal data. So, you know, technically we have a little bit over 2 million because, you know, if anything serious were to happen, the reserves would be called to action. I want them to be the strongest, which is why they're engaged in what you reference, which is called gene editing, literally trying to alter the DNA, experimenting on uh, DNA to make uh, soldiers, sailors, and airmen uh, stronger and more powerful. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrifying. In uh, the 1940s, when Japan was uh, at war, they uh, allegedly, I'm not 100% sure, but I had heard this story, but they had been giving their pilots methamphetamine to keep them up and also commit kamikaze. So, you know, this kind of thing isn't necessarily new. Um, but, uh, I just wanted to highlight that because, you know, um, countries are, are going to do whatever they have to, to their soldiers, you know, especially send them to their deaths in order to achieve their national interests. So what do you think Beijing anticipates some kind of physical confrontation with the United States in, in the next several years? Well, here's the funny thing. Um, and why? would be a great follow-up question to that, Tucker. Tucker is, China knows at this point that the United States is still the world's superpower. They know they're catching us in all of those respects. Um, they're banking on the fact that um, we're not gonna do anything until um, they're superior in all those respects. You know, great generals always say it's better to- What does that even mean? That we're not gonna do anything until they're better than us? What does that even mean? Like, okay, now that they're better than us, we have to invade or we have to allow them to invade? What does that even mean? To fight downhill. Right now, the United States um, can fight downhill um, uh, against China. We don't ever want to be in a position where we're looking up at China and all of the plans that they have. That's so weird is that, yeah, okay, so I guess China wants to fight downhill in that, in that respect. And since we've got them downhill right now, we're going to fight. All of the initiatives made in China, the Digital Silk Road, uh, Belt and Road Initiative, those are all thin veneers and, and facades for which China is going around the world um, and essentially gaining the uh, influence power uh, to become the world's superpower and supplant the United States in that role. We heard a lot over the past four years about and, Russia's like, ability again, to like, break into Again, like, you have to expand on why and how. Like, you, you don't, all right, not even why, but just mainly how. 
um, because it just sounds like, you know, more bargaining power and better foreign policy and them having more allies is probably the bigger threat that they were going to have, which is why you shouldn't have elected Donald Trump, the most isolationist president since the 1930s. Gmail account. To the extent you can, to the extent it's not classified, give us a sense of China's penetration into our networks, government networks. Well, it's significant and growing every day. And uh, Tucker, you made a great point in your open. That is so vague. That is so vague. And only it, the reason why it is vague is to scare you out of your fucking underpants, you right wing babies. I am sorry if I came off a little rude right there. But to be perfectly honest, if you believe everything John Ratcliffe says without any critical analysis, then you deserve as much ridicule as you can get. Opening about Russia. Listen, they're they're you know, uh, they are a, uh, a dangerous adversary. I don't mean to minimize them, but you, you made the point correctly about- He's like, how much have they infiltrated us? And he's like, so much. Economically, <laughs> Russia can't compete the way China can. The largest economy in the world is the United States. Uh, the second largest is China. Russia's not in the top 10. It hmm. Yeah, we're number 11 of the wealthiest nations. Uh, world's largest economy. I mean, we're the largest consumer. I don't know if we really produce, but okay. Well, I guess the U.S. has retained its position of being the world's largest economy since 1871. The size of the U.S. economy was at $20 trillion in 2018 in nominal terms and is expected to reach $22.32 trillion in 2020. So, all right, all right. Let's see. I'm going to click this just to see what number two is. I'm going to bet China, our national GDP, 21.44. Yeah, number two is China, and they're significantly behind when it comes to the GDP value compared to the U.S. motherfucking A. Um, but I guess them getting all high and mighty is a real concern of ours. Italy, Brazil, and the state of Texas have a larger economy than Russia. So as dangerous as Russia can be, they cannot compete with us the way China is. And China has a very specific plan to do that. And one of the ways that China has made their way to the top is they understand that information is the key to their dominance. So they're going to get there any way they possibly can. That's what uh, subsidizing yeah. Huawei and ZTE is all about. Yeah. Those are Yeah, back in the industrial age, from 19 you know about the late 1800s almost through to now throughout the entire 1900s oil was the most important uh commodity to get your hands on and now these days it is information and data mainly about um consumers and you know if you can get information and data on political leaders that's that's great too but everybody does seem to focus on the consumer market when it comes to gathering information and data Chinese co companies that are run by the Chinese government, they know that they can steal more information if they run the telecommunications networks over which our information travels. That's one of the ways that China um, has gotten so good in terms of getting into um, our networks and into our information society. We've been asleep. Thank you for helping to wake people up. John Ratcliffe, Director of National <laughs> Intelligence. Great to be it. with you. Yeah, and his, uh, his wake up call is just more sandman dust because he's vague and he doesn't necessarily answer any questions doesn't prevent it uh, present any evidence the whole idea here is just to uh fear china's rise so that when we take action against china then we can seem justified 
So uh, thank you, Tucker Carlson and John Ratcliffe for that horse shit. Now to OAN uh, talking about the COVID economy, because the COVID economy has a lot to do with how the United States is an enemy against itself. But of course, we're going to get a much more optimistic, positive spin because OAN is pro-Trump and Trump has ruined us with COVID. So let's get it. I think you all know how I feel about wars in the Middle East by now, so I won't go too much into that topic. But joining us now to break down the economic components of these policies is Tyler Goodspeed. He's the acting chair of the Council of Economic Advisors at the White House. Tyler, I appreciate you coming on the program tonight because today in the nation's capital, a lot of conversation about not only coronavirus relief packages, but other economic concerns as well. But I first want to start on laying down the standard of where we are. What is the strength of the U.S. economy given the point of where we are right now? Well, we just learned today that during the month of November, the U.S. economy added 344,000 private sector jobs and the unemployment rate ticked down to 6.7%. Just to put those... I, I definitely want to keep saying this as everybody keeps saying added uh, blah, blah, blah jobs. Like we suffered a major deficit after COVID had hit. So any jobs being added are actually jobs being recovered. And the thing is, is that um, the amount of jobs that we recovered in the month of November is half of the jobs of October. So it seems that that job recovery is slowing down. Um, and we're going to have to see how it is handled under a Biden administration. But I just want to highlight that there because we went from an 8% unemployment to a 6.7% percent unemployment and so that means recover jobs because we used to be at a three percent unemployment pre-covid those numbers in perspective a few months ago the nonpartisan congressional budget office was projecting that we would end the year with un an unemployment rate of 11.5 percent and that we would have seven million fewer jobs than we in fact had in the month of, of, of november and so i think the fact that we have vastly exceeded those expectations is testament both to the underlying strength of the U.S. economy. The thing is, too, is that it always reminds me of like a 1984 situation, like when they were talking about chocolate rations, is that they would say, oh, we're going to have uh, 14 million chocolate rations, um, which is pretty high, I think, for the books. But just follow my example. They, they, they would report that they were going to have 14 million chocolate rations. And then it comes out that they actually uh, only have... Uh, or no, that they actually have uh, 20 million chocolate rations. So like the Ministry of Truth would constantly spin that narrative to make it sound like they overreached their own expectations. Um, you know, and I don't I'm not saying they're guilty of that, but my level of skepticism rises when you have, um, you know, uh, White House entities reporting and then uh, White House entities responding. On the eve of this pandemic, uh, but also to the unprecedented response of the Trump administration to, to a macroeconomic shock that we simply haven't seen in almost a century. And I think that you do have to give credit when it's due, no matter where you stand politically, because we were not expected to be at this point economically. I mean, whether whatever indicator you want to use. There, there was, and I have the report on poordumrebellion.net that we were expecting a recession in 2020 regardless, but uh, it was made much worse by COVID. So we, we reached almost depression levels of uh, economic suffering, but, you know, we kept it at a great recession level. So 
use, whether it's the numbers you just gave, whether it's the unemployment, the stock market, the U.S. economy does seem to be rebounding better than a lot of people were saying. But I read an interesting uh, op-ed by you in the Wall Street Journal that says that the White House does favor. <laughs> this guy also wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> they're, they're hosting a lot of p opinions lately bridge to recovery, providing some assistance for the American people until a vaccine is eventually out. So today we saw <laughs> and the vaccine is almost out and they have not been providing diddly dick to anybody because <laughs> that $400 uh, extra to unemployment, the states have to opt into it and also pay for it. So it's not necessarily a government uh, uh a policy or I mean federal policy even though it was through a Trump executive order that allowed those $400 to even be available thought that there might be some bipartisan <laughs> compromise when it comes to that coronavirus relief do you support so far what we've seen <laughs> well of course he does <laughs> he's the chair of the advisory board of the economic Oh my god, of course he supports it because this was his plan. This was his work. <laughs> well, first of all, just to put the this recovery in perspective, the Do you like sucking your own dick? I'm sorry, I just <laughs> such a ridiculous question. Because <laughs> of course he is. Of course he's proud of what they've done. The unemployment rate, as I said, is now six point seven percent. That is lower than the unemployment rate was in November 2013. Even if we take the broadest measure of labor market underutilization, so-called U6, which includes marginally attached workers, folks who are working part-time for economic reasons, the, the, the broadest measure of, under, of underemployment in the United States right now is lower than it was in July 2014. That was five years into the Obama-Biden expansion. So I think, as I said, this is just testament to the economic leadership of the Trump administration in responding to an unprecedented macroeconomic shock. Uh, in terms of further relief, yes, I think the development of, of advanced uh, therapeutics and particularly multiple vaccine candidates, thanks to Operation Warp Speed, actually makes the case even stronger for near-term measures to provide support to small businesses, to provide support to Americans who have lost uh, employment due to coronavirus-related shutdowns. Uh, and that's why the president is very much in favor of a phase four deal uh, that provides some additional support for, for small businesses, particularly through an extension of the, the Paycheck Protection Program. Especially the PPP, which is mainly for corporations and businesses. And uh, I just want to highlight here that Trump has two months to actually help the working class in dealing with this pandemic as well but also for, for temporary enhanced unemployment insurance benefits. In the video, while they're talking about the PPP loans, this dude is opening his Tesla car, which is automatic and butterfly doors. So we're literally watching this wealthy dude just open his doors while we're talking about how people need assistance with coronavirus. <laughs> oh, man, if you... If you're listening to the podcast, check out the uh, YouTube video so you can see this ridiculousness. Why would you have that in the video? Like, why would you highlight somebody who has such a fancy car in a time when you're talking about how poor people are? Even though they're not really talking about how poor the people are, they're mainly talking about how his proudest achievement is the PPP loans, which are, again, focused on businesses and corporations. Uh, for unemployed Americans.
And Tyler, I'm glad that you phrased it that way, kind of giving us some context to those numbers, because I know that a lot of people are looking back to what happened coming out of the 2008 recession, for example, and the anemic growth that came out of that. And now they're seeing a return to that in a lot of ways. They see Joe Biden possibly taking the White House. They see some familiar faces such as Janet Yellen possibly being part of his administration if he were to win that race. And they're thinking to themselves, is this the right type of strategy to be putting together coming out of what a lot of people are calling another recession, albeit one kind of induced by the government more so than just organic factors. But do you think that there's some credence to those <laughs> concerns? But yet again, uh, we were expecting a recession nonetheless. So um, it was reported when we weren't going to necessarily see uh, how that was going to turn out uh, because COVID did hit and massively, you know, affect, like he said, our macroeconomics. But it would have been fascinating to see how that recession was going to hit regardless. Um but uh, yeah, is that perhaps the strategies that were utilized under the Obama administration and possibly Joe Biden may not fit this moment, even though Joe Biden and Obama were the ones who brought us out of the 2008 Republican recession. So, yeah, the recession caused by uh, Bush policies and also a corrupt banking housing market. Well, it's it's definitely puzzling to me to hear. Uh, some of the Obama-Biden economic team talk about some of the themes that we constantly heard from them uh, in the aftermath of 2008-2009, no, secular no. stagnation, rising inequality, because we... we what is secular stagnation? I got to look that up real quick. In economics, secular stagnation is a condition when there is negligible or no economic growth in a market-based economy. Um, in this context, the term secular means long-term, even though uh, they did see uh, long-term growth. And uh, a lot of people had been reporting that Trump was actually riding that wave well into his uh, presidency. So uh, don't I don't believe Tyler Goodspeed on that one because the numbers aren't on his side. Figured out in 2017, 2018, 2019, how to reverse the trends that were underway under the Obama-Biden administration. Uh, so in fact- So to reverse the trends, which the trends were all upwards growth uh, for the economy, for number of employment, everybody was doing pretty well under the coattails of the Obama economy. And he's saying we want to revert, we, we tried to reverse those trends as if that was a good idea inherently. Um, but when you look at the numbers, if you look at how Obama's economy was doing as he was leaving office and you say, let's reverse those trends, it sounds more like you want to tank the economy. Under the Trump administration, we observed declining wage inequality, declining income inequality, declining wealth inequality. Those last two were lies. We saw GDP accelerate, which was just unprecedented. Uh, that's also a lie. We did see it jump pretty hard after COVID lockdowns have been uh, relaxed, but that's also because our GDP suffered pretty hard from COVID, but it was not accelerated in 2019. That's definitely not true. Um, he had like a slightly higher percentage wage uh, raise than everybody thought it was going to go up, but it's still not accelerated. Like I don't consider two or three percent accelerated.
uh, relative to the preceding expansion. Uh, so I, I think there is legitimate concern that we might see a return to the suite of policies that delivered literally the worst, the slowest economic recovery uh, in post-war. He's saying the worst and he has no evidence for it. It was a slow recovery, um, but here's the dealio is that it was a recovery and it ended up in the end to an actual economic growth period. So uh, I don't like the the sermon that he is delivering here because it is full of lies. History under under President Obama and former Vice President Biden. And that's an argument that really sells itself too. You don't need to buy- And let it just be known, I'm not a supporter of Obama. It's just the uh, numbers uh, on his exit are definitely on his side economically. So I, I do have to acknowledge the reality, even though I'm not necessarily a fan of Obama. I campaign ads or anything like that to sell that argument. That's something that the American people see with their paychecks. They see if they're not being able to go to work. It's something that really does affect them to a large degree, perhaps more so than any other policy point. So I think that's something that the American people, not just Washington insiders or us in the media will be talking about. It's something the American people will be looking at very much so as well. But Tyler Goodspeed, I can't thank you enough for coming on tonight, breaking down the economic numbers moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. He didn't really break them up that much, but I just wanted to highlight there that uh, one of the greatest threats to the United States is within it right now. And it's the Tyler Goodspeed who's really focusing on the economic numbers during the COVID pandemic and making sure that businesses are still raking in their profits and satisfying, satisfying their shareholders and board members. And that is a bigger threat to uh, working class citizens more than China uh, doing its thing. Um, but here we're going to finish it all off with uh, what Prager U believes is one of the greatest threats to uh, democracy and freedom within the United States, and that being the left. Why does the left hate Israel on the surface? Uh, all right. So the first sentence in this is uh, the left doesn't hate Israel. Um, and I, you know what? I can't really speak for the entire left, so I'll speak for my own position. I don't hate Israel. I just don't like what it has done to the Palestinian people um, uh, in regards to their own settlements and the way that they've uh, fostered the creation of their nation. So uh, I don't hate Israel. I heavily disagree with it. And I, um, I do hold it in contempt because there is a lot more that they should be doing that are you know, and the bit side uh, on a stronger side of humanitarian civil rights, especially for the Palestinians. And that kind of always is what brings most of its critique is how they treat Palestinians. So uh, I don't know if people on the left hate Israel, but we uh, definitely disagree. It doesn't make sense. Israel is a liberal democracy. It extends full rights to women, to gays, and to its many Arab citizens. Does Israel actually have gay rights? It's against the Bible. Let's see, LGBT rights in Israel. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, 
and transgender rights in Israel are the most developed in the Middle East and among the most tolerant in Asia. Although same-sex sexual activity was legalized in 1988, the former law against sodomy had not been enforced since a court decision in 1963. Israel became the first country in Asia to recognize unregistered cohabitation between same-sex couples, making it the first country in Asia to recognize same-sex unions in any capacity. Although same-sex marriages are not performed in the country, Israel recognizes same-sex marriages performed elsewhere. Wow, you can't perform a... So that's full rights to you? Is not being able to have your marriage in Israel? You can have it in another nation and be considered legally married upon your return, but you can't... Ha How is that uh, full rights if you can't have your marriage in your country? Uh, discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation was prohibited in 1992. All right. Uh, Same-sex couples are allowed to jointly adopt following a landmark court, court decision in 2008. Previously, stepchild adoption as well as limited, come on, uh, co-guardianship rights for non-biological parents were permitted. LGBT people are also allowed to serve openly in the military. All right. But uh, yeah, I don't consider uh, not being allowed to marry in your homeland full rights. Like all countries which are made up of flawed human beings, Israel is flawed. Yes. But compared to most countries, not to mention its neighbors, it is a civil rights paradise. So why does the left hate Israel? The reason is that the left, and as I always emphasize, I am talking about the left, not about liberals, is not guided by a moral compass. <laughs> you know, and it, here's the thing, is that it's always kind of hard uh, to differentiate the two when speaking to Republicans and conservatives and right-wingers um, because they always conflate the two as if Democrats are leftists. Um, so I'm, I'm genuinely confused. Not about liberals is not guided by a moral compass. It is guided by three other compasses. A power compass a race compass, and a class compass. And I feel like all of those have to be pointed through morality. Like the compass itself is morality and they point in, or I guess uh, the each one being uh, power class and race being their own watches, I guess the direction would be pointed towards morality because uh, the left, and mainly I'm going to speak for uh, libertarian, socialist, anarcho, syndicalist, communist, uh, because that's kind of where I reside, is that, you know, through these three uh, power, race, and class, you want to aim for the, uh, the, the greater outcome of good. So I'm a bit utilitarian in that aspect. And so when speaking on those three class issues, power, race, and class, um, you want to aim for the common good, which is morality. So um, you, you kind of need it. Let's begin with the power compass. Instead of evaluating people and nations on the basis of right and wrong or good and evil, the left evaluates them on the basis of weak and strong. If you're weak, you're good. If you're strong, you're bad. Israel is strong, therefore it is bad. America is strong, therefore it is bad. Yeah, no, no one has made that argument. No one has made that argument. But let's say if the United States uses its strong power to, say, uh, train death squads in South America, we would say that's bad. 
if America uses its strong power to invade other countries for its own interests, we would say that is bad. It's not inherently bad to be strong. It's bad to use your strength uh, against the weak and the vulnerable. And that's usually what the argument is. But he's making it a lot more simplistic in order to have this little five minutes of hate against the left. The Palestinians are regarded as weak. Therefore, they're good. When you're good. Uh, again, that's like an oversimplistic oversim- view of things. Um, I think a lot of leftists uh, find solidarity with Palestinians because of the level of oppression that they face from Israel and the way that Israel has been handling resettling Palestinians and also, um, yeah, just overall treatment of Palestinians. They are weak. They have a very small government and they don't have a lot of bargaining power with other nations. In fact, they don't even they aren't even considered to have a nation very much anymore there's no two state going on there's only one and so they are incredibly weak but you know when israel uses its strength to further oppress them and uh you know let's say that maybe you know they restricted uh their um aid that other nations were sending in then people would denounce that because uh um you know, restricting aid that goes into Palestinian areas is kind of a human rights abuse. Guided by a moral compass, you don't ask who's strong and who's weak. You ask who's morally right and who's morally wrong. Fifty. Yeah, but uh, strength and weakness come into um, asking who's morally right. Because, like, is Israel morally right for using their strength to weaken Palestinians? And I would argue, no, it is not right. It is actually morally wrong uh, to search for a two-state uh, solution that is equitable and fair for everybody would be more morally right. But, uh, you know, PragerU isn't interested in that conversation either. He's more interested in actually having Israel dominate the whole region. Years ago, Israel was not a big issue for the left. Why? Because it was perceived as weak. No, I'm just going to say no. It's it's been the, the, the whole thing has been an issue for the left for decades. Um, so, no. But after the 1967 Six Day War in which Israel achieved a stunning military victory, It all changed. Israel became strong, so Israel became bad. No, it 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 doesn't have to do with the victory of the war, but but more about the outcome of it, which was again the redrawing of Palestinian borders and Israel taking more land from Palestinian citizens, especially with the way that they did it, actually evicting them from their homes and resettling them into basically open air prison, Gaza and West Bank. So that's that's again not the issue. Um, and he's oversimplifying it. And the Palestinians were weak, so they became good. So no matter how much terror Palestinians engaged in, hijacking airplanes, murdering 11 Israeli athletes and coaches at the... What? I don't think... I don't think Palestinians had anything to do with Munich, did they? That was in Germany, wasn't it? 1972. Um, let's see. On 5th of September, eight Palestinian terrorists broke into the Olympic Village, killing two members of the Israeli team and taking nine hostages. Um, it's, you know, any act of war 
is um, a terrorist attack, but I'm just going to highlight here that the Palestinians and Israelis have been at war since Israel moved in to move Palestinians out. So it's kind of hard for me to agree with the characterization that he is setting here as them being simply terrorists and not necessarily defendants of their own sovereignty and their own freedom. Um, not, not saying that I agree with the Munich massacre or, or any actions that Palestinians take in the in the vein of violence, but I'm just saying that when you're when countries are at war, you're going to have um, repulsive acts, regardless. And of course, he's not going to talk about Israel Israel's acts here, especially of like imprisoning Palestinian children, killing children, um, doing bombs, you know, dropping bombs into Palestinian land with airplanes, which, you know, uh, Palestinians don't even have access to, which they usually retaliate with like rocket fire, which is RPGs. Um, and you can debate whether or not how devastating that is compared to the actual like air raids that Israel would commit against them. 1972 Munich Olympics, blowing up Israelis in pizza parlors and at weddings. The left's position. I mean, the United States loves bombing weddings. I mean, if you if you want a good Hellfire missile from Raytheon, uh, shout out to Robert Evans. But you can bomb any wedding that you want. You can bomb a, a school bus full of children. You know, as long as it's in Syrian space. Never changed. Palestinians good, Israel bad, because the Pal. And it's always because like Israel has been uh, perceived as an invaded force, uh, even though. You know, uh, England sought to give them that land. It, you know, you, you can debate whether or not it was even England's right to give Israel that land, knowing that there were already people living in Palestine. So Palestinians were weak and Israel was strong. That's one of the three ways the left judges the world. You can test this theory in other ways. Why is the United States bad? Because it's strong. And third world countries that oppose the United States are good. Cuba, for example, has been. That's not necessarily true. Adored by the left for decades. That's not necessarily true either. Never mind that Cuba's Communist Party has ruined Cuba, that Cubans have no civil rights, and Cuba is one of the poorest countries in the world. Mm, I just want to Google do Cubans have civil rights, just out of curiosity. Human rights in Cuba are under the scrutiny of human rights organizations, which accuse the Cuban governments of committing systemic human rights abuse against the Cuban people, including arbitrary imprisonment and unfair trials. Cuban law limits freedom of expression, association, assembly, movement, and the press. All right. That's fine. I was just curious, but uh, I don't think everybody has praised everything about um, Cuba, but uh, Fidel Castro did... Um, implement a pretty immaculate um, education program, which I guess we're not allowed to give him credit for because he's a communist. So, Since Cuba is weak, to the left, Cuba is good. I, the yeah, same was again, true with like if, if it's true about their civil rights, Cuba is not good and they have much more to do, especially if they claim to be communists. Um, and to be communist, you kind of have to have a stateless, classless, wageless society, which I don't think Cuba has achieved. And so um, down to the definition isn't actually communist. Um, a lot of these so-called communist states, such as China, Russia, Cuba, Venezuela, actually dictatorships. So actual to uh, authoritarians. 
with North Vietnam in the 1960s. It was considered weak, so it was good. The U.S. was strong, so it was bad. It didn't matter. No, uh, we had no business being in Vietnam. They had their own, um, you know, own, own disputes to settle out, but we wanted capitalism to spread throughout the world at that point. So we were willing to invade uh, South Vietnam and also uh, destroy North Korea in order to have, uh, you know, the capitalists succeed in those countries. But the thing is, is that we didn't even succeed in our mission. Uh, North Korea and South Korea state split with two different economies, two different uh, ways of running their governments. And Vietnam eventually became socialist and they did much better in their response to the COVID-19 pandemic than the United States did, which is capitalist. So let that be acknowledged. Matter that America was trying to preserve the freedom of the South Vietnamese exactly as it had preserved the freedom of the South Koreans. The U.S. was strong. And just a highlight here is I think that um, the United States during the Korean War uh, decimated 60% of North Korea's population in order to preserve, quote unquote, the freedom of South Koreans, allegedly. As if, you know, they wouldn't have been able to solve it on their own or even let North Korea unite the the Koreas. Um, But, uh, you know, I can't argue whether or not North Korea ruling all of Korea would have actually been a good idea. It's probably not because North Korea is definitely a dystopia. But um, I just, you know, I don't think that these nations necessarily benefited from our uh, nose being in their business so that we can make sure that there's a global capitalist market. On so it was bad. Which brings us back to Israel. The stronger Israel gets as it effectively defends itself, as its economy grows, and as its diplomatic position improves, the more the left hates it. The second of the left's compasses, the race compass. It it literally, the reason why the left does not like uh, Israel has everything to do with how they've treated Palestinians. Um, All of that other uh, nonsense is exactly what I just said it is, nonsense is another reason the left hates Israel. Just as it substitutes weak and strong for good and evil, the left substitutes non-white and white for good and evil. Not true. Not true. The left doesn't judge people by their actions, but by their race. That's why, for example, the left asserts that a black person cannot be a racist. Nope. Uh, Nope. Uh, No. 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 You remember when Nick Cannon... uh got fired from MTV because he said some racist shit like uh, white people have no souls because they lack melanin. Uh, yeah, Nick Cannon's racist and um, Louis Farrakhan is also racist and anti-Semitic. Um, and there are a lot of black nationalists who are racist. Uh, black people are totally ra- can be racist. Anybody can be racist. I, I don't know where they've gotten this argument from. Um but you know, you know, to to admit my own biases, I enjoy it very much when black people are racist towards white people because you know, hundreds of years of oppression. I can laugh at a few racist jokes that are directed towards white people time and again. And there was a great one that Dan Harmon had said: is that like, uh, you can you can call white people whatever you want. You can call them crackers. You can call them honkies. You can call them rednecks, and they won't get offended. But the one thing you can't call them racist. Everybody laughed. Curtain closed. Good joke. Only a white person can be a racist. And that provides the second reason Israel is labeled evil. Israelis are considered white and Palestinians are not white. 
Never. No, no. It's uh again, no. It's uh, a dispute between uh, oppressed and oppressor, and the Israel seems to take on the role of oppressor against the Palestinians, and so the left feels uh, sympathy and empathy and compassion for the Palestinian people who are being oppressed and refused their right to sovereignty. Remind that more than half of Israel's population is not white. The result? The left essentially ignores Palestinian terror and loudly condemns Israel's responses to terror. Now to the left's third... Yeah, and it's because, you know, Israel has a disproportionate level of attack against Palestinians. Um, the war has, you know, since 1967, the Six-Day War, it has heavily leaned on Israel because Israel has a much stronger military might and more land, more resources, more allies. And so Palestinian grows weaker by the day. And I guess that does tend to lend more sympathy towards them from the left because of that but it's more of an oppressor oppressed dynamic not strong weak white black it has nothing to do with that the compass the class compass this is the third way in which the left replaces traditional western and judeo-christian categories of good and evil instead of judge <laughs> judeo-christian Oh, God. Like, to measure your good and evil only through Judeo-Christian is just so mosaic, is what I want to say. It's, uh, and it's, um, oh, what's also the word for it? Oh, no, it's esoteric, you know? Because it's just, it's so, uh, it's a very small part of the world that is within good and evil, um, especially since, like, the only thing that can justify a Christian's good is that the holy is behind them, that they have the divine on their side, and which, you know, can be malarkey because, like I said in a previous podcast, George Bush said that God told him to invade Iraq, and, you know, that it, I don't know a congressperson at this point who doesn't say that we need to pull our troops back, and also that it was a mistake to even send them in in the first place, so... Judging people's actions by the same moral yardstick. Also, uh, we acknowledge that the Bush administration lied to us in order to, to invade Iraq, not with just God, but also with like anthrax and WMDs. That of good and evil, the left judges people's actions based on their economic class. No, um, you know, we usually also... You know, we not just because they're rich, but also depending on their level of greed while being rich. Rich people and rich nations are bad. Poor people and poor nations are good. This began with Karl. Again, Mar that's a very simplistic view of things. Like it, it, it just like it just asks for smooth brain thinking to be like, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's all we're concerned about. Marks, who divided the world by economic class, not moral behavior. To Marx and to Marxism, good and evil is entirely class-based. Ah, uh, no. Um, he did say that history is a story of class struggle, um, but he did not break that down like that. And Marxist is, Marxism is really only a critical analysis of capitalism. Like, if you read uh, Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations, it's a very pro-capitalist uh, analysis of capitalism and how it functions marx took it and gave it a worker's point of view uh what it's like to look at it from a labor a laborer's perspective a very pro pro proletariat view of how capitalism works um 
he uh, but uh, unfortunately when he analyzed it he realized that there was an oppressor class that was the owner class and then said that we, the proletariat must overthrow the bourgeois because the bourgeois was not willing to accept their responsibility for others and the environment around them good is defined as workers evil as owners and that's the simplistic view of it but i just explained that there's uh, much more layers to why the owners are being considered as irresponsible and unaccountable and uncaring um and he goes into it in great length in das kapital which is a very hard read very long but uh if you can look up summaries on youtube it's well worth it and that is the third reason for the left's hatred of israel and of america they are both wealthy no, it's uh, because they're greedy. It's because they're greedy as fuck. And especially with the United States having like the world's largest uh, income inequality and wealth gap, uh, that has a lot to do with it. It's not necessarily just because there's wealthy people, but because the wealthy people choose to do the most crony capitalist greedy shit possible. As fewer and fewer people perceive the world in terms of good and evil, substituting a power, race, or class compass for a moral compass... And we're using all of the compasses, power, race, and class, in order to guide our morality. So, uh, yeah, Prager, uh, good job simplifying everything into uh, such a small thinking bubble. You will inevitably get more evil and more hatred of the good. So if you consider power, race, and class, you're just going to get more evil. So you should just look at what evil is and denounce it and fight against it and be that simple. But you better be looking through it, uh, looking at it through a Judeo-Christian compass or else you're just wrong. You're just wrong. Just don't. Just don't even be moral unless you pick up a Bible. Thanks, Dennis. Beginning with Israel and America and ending with Western civilization. Oh my God. I'm Dennis Prager. Western Thank you for watching this video. Not Western civilization. Oh no. What are we going to do without capitalism? Without all of the capital flowing to the top? What are we going to do if we equitably shared with everybody? Oh God. Uh, let's go into the comment sections and wrap this bitch up. This guy says here, this is an exception to the rule. Rich leftists who don't earn money from competing in the free market, but a obtain wealth from cronyism and lobbying government officials are good guys oh my god like <laughs> all right first who are you talking about who is the rich leftist um and how are they a leftist competing in the free market um uh, let's let's see the replies to this one because there's 12 you just described the entertainment industry. It is communism waiting to be crushed from within. Um, I, I, I think the people who make the movies probably have a more liberal leaning, but uh, the ones who run it, like the production companies, not so much. Not so much. Uh, and then another reply says, and they ignore the far left celebrities who are some of the richest people in the country. <laughs> And that's because we pay them millions to act, you know? We don't care about the sound boom guy. We can find another fucker to hold the mic. We need Brad Pitt's beautiful million-dollar face. And that just speaks to what the market is. That's what the market offers to people who act. So, please, like, bitch, please, with that being a far-left celebrity problem and not still part of a systemic issue, which that would be considered because that's what we pay actors for doing their jobs. Oh, man. Dennis Prager in the 19th century, quote, Why does the left love the Indians and hate the U.S. Calvary? 
because the Indians are weak and the U.S. Cavalry is strong. <laughs> okay, I like that one. Uh, this person uh, replied to that one saying, Dennis is advocating, ad advocating for a moral compass, not for a rich, white, strong equals good paradigm. What Andrew Jackson did was blatantly unconstitutional, immoral, and he defied court order to do it. You must not pervert justice. You must not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the rich. You are to judge your neighbor fairly. Leviticus 19.15. Uh, that guy's comment was literally all over the place. Um, but I think he like overall agrees, but he just has a right-leaning Judeo-Christian view of the world and is agreeing with Dennis. Someone else responded to the uh, quote from Dennis Prager in the 19th century with the Indians and U.S. Calvary, and it says, Well, I feel like it's more because one committed atrocities and genocides and one forced people from their land and helped to destroy cultures. <laughs> what? Who, who was the one who committed atrocities and genocides, and who was the one that forced people from their land and helped to destroy cultures? Because uh, Native Americans did not commit atrocities and genocides. They uh, were fighting off an invading force. <laughs> and uh, they were forced from their land, and their culture was destroyed. So I don't know who this person was talking about. Um, let's, let's go find another one here. Uh, to my mind, the far left is bass ackwards. They shout no hate inequality from their self-ordained pulpits, but in real life, those whose opinions differ are shouted down, stalked, and laughed at. Um, and the reason why that is is because those people who are shouted down, stalked, and laughed at is because they're intolerant, and the left does not tolerate intolerance. Oh, yeah. Shouts out to the uh, toleration paradox. Uh, there is a good quote about this. Nobody kicks a dead dog. So long as America, uh, America is, is a strong, alive dog, we should take it as a compliment. Again, nobody kicks a dead dog. <laughs> God. Okay. Uh, sounds like their goal is to make everyone as equally weak as possible. They know, how, they know weak societies are much easier to rule. Again, like in, I feel that most leftists that they might be talking about who are communists, socialists, and anarchists, that's like the far left, um, they seek uh, a, a horizontal hierarchical system. So there's not really any rulers except for the people because they also try to focus on direct democracy and not representative democracy. So it's actually the abolition of unnecessary hierarchies and giving people direct power over their governments. So um, that person has a weak understanding of leftist beliefs. Uh, this seems to fit their behavior and the nature of their narrative. Cool. You thought critically about it. It's most lamentable that the left dominates education and culture. Uh, I don't... I don't even know what to say about that because, yeah, that's just so focused on the culture war that, you know, the left and right can't even believe on a fundamental reality, and that guy's not never going to help that situation. So, let's read the last one. It says, the left agenda has been taught in our schools for decades. No. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. If being critical of white supremacy in the United States is uh, the left agenda... Uh, that's pretty weak because we're nowhere near uh, getting close to a socialist, communist, or any far left ideology in the United States. We're so far from that. And I don't think my school contributed to me moving to the left. In fact, everything that I've learned outside of school is actually what turned me further to the left. And that's because curiosity doesn't kill the cat. It actually rubs it till it purrs. Oh, yeah. 
and you got to keep that cat purring. Otherwise, it's dead. So, thank you for joining me on Talks News. That's uh, the 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 world. <laughs> no, that's uh, China not being as big of a threat to uh, the United States. It's the United States being more of a threat to itself, and that mostly becomes from the right who want to see a fundamental change into Judeo-Christian authoritarianism and uh, denial of any criticism of them doing so and any reality that would hurt uh, business interests. And that's just from this point of view at Tox News. Hit me up on Twitter at AsAWave, A-Z-A-W-A-V. Uh, this will be on YouTube under the same name, Tox News. And uh, check out some writings on PoorDumbRebellion.net. And uh, I don't know. I guess the rest that you can do is just enjoy the rest of your day. That's that's pretty much it. If 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 you can't do that, uh, I don't know. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, noob.